Everybody, welcome to the uh, episode two of the King and I podcast presented by our friends at Monster Energy. Big thanks to Eric Johnson. You're good buddies with EJ, right? Oh, man. Love EJ. You know, what's crazy about Eric is I met him at Daytona Beach. Was that bar called the Coliseum? Yeah, it was. At the Coliseum bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where we always used to go after the races. yeah, Yeah. In 1990, after my first year there with Cycle News. And uh, he was just a contributor and stuff. And it's like, we've been friends since then. EJ's been around. Yeah. As long as we have. Or been around for a while. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So he, uh, he loves the sport. Definitely. Yeah. I think he's the best writer in motocross. Writer. Yeah. Typer, but. Uh, pretty amazing. So, uh, so, yeah. So, the King and I podcast is uh, between myself and Jeremy, our landlord, my buddy. <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about is. Uh, <clears throat> You know, when Transworld went away in uh, 2019, uh, it was like the Monday or Tuesday before the San Diego Supercross. And so, you know, we get called into the company meeting like, oh, we have a new owner, American Media. David Pecker doesn't like dirt bikes. So motocross, you guys are all laid off at 11 a.m. So, you know, Wilson and I and the rest of our staff. Just Anton, dropping bombs. Yeah. I mean, we were like, because we had five different owners during the 20 years I ran Transworld Motocross. So I was like, ah, I'll just have a different business card, right? But uh, that happens, and I'm just like, whoa, rug pulled out from under me, you know? And so my guys and I, we didn't know what to do. And so we went to, uh, we went to the San Diego Supercross, just kind of like, I was Shell like a zombie, shocked. right? Yeah, I, was, I took my camera and everything to just kind of work anyway, because it's all I knew how to do. But uh, you invited me up to watch in your suite, I remember. And I remember we had, we had a few cocktails, but you like put me in a headlock and you're like, fucker, you better try to buy it back or keep going or do something. And I remember how scared I was. And the thing you said to me was like, business isn't hard. It's just scary when you haven't done it. Yeah, it's, oh, that's true. I mean, I remember that because, you know, and you and Donnie working together too is just like, I mean, the most obvious thing would be like, okay, fire it up yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, just like anything, when you haven't done it, it's scary. Yeah. But look now. I know, right? That's a big step. That was the thing. big step in doing it for yourself. Yeah, that was the thing that you said to me that really kind of like opened my eyes. You're all business isn't hard. It's just scary when you haven't done it. And I'm like, dude, I'm not a business owner. Like, I was like... I'm not a millionaire like you. I can't just go buy it back, you know, because you were saying go buy it back from the company. Well, I thought that would be a great option, especially if he didn't care and didn't want it. Yeah. You know, but, you know, as it turned out, he didn't want, he wasn't even willing to sell it. Well, it was his whole blackmail scandal, right, with uh, David Pecker and Bezos from Amazon that all happened. Yeah, I don't don't know the details on that, but still, it saved you some money. (laughs) It did. Yeah. It did. I think you said it's just like jumping a triple for the first time. Then you first do it. It's always hard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, for you, like you've run a bunch of different things in the past, right? I mean, from your truck race team. and Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, honestly, I've kind of learned along the way too. I don't know that much about business. I'm not a businessman. I'm a dirt bike racer. Yeah. But you know, through, through business and experiencing different things, you learn certain things and you try to pick up everything you can along the way and mm-hmm. and then uh, you know eventually you'll have you know you'll have to make an educated business decision mm-hmm. and uh hopefully you've kind of listened and learned and 
learn from people that are better than you and have done it yeah and are able to make a you know at least a decent decision at the time and uh yeah i mean business is different i'd rather just be an athlete you know or whatever <laughs> a former athlete or whatever but uh, you know life is life you got to keep living and you got to do keep opening new doors and do stuff so mm -hmm. especially it, when you have your own you have your own brand now you know yeah so you gotta just keep making i had no desire for it i had no desire for it right but we did it and Super humbling that the industry supported us from the get-go, and, and it's awesome now, you know. Life is yeah. good. We're having fun. And uh, life's always more fun at the office when you're here working on stuff. Get to watch you uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, work well, on your side-by-sides. or I, I, I'm always here in, in your way, really. but <laughs> Or we're in your way, oh, actually. Well, it wouldn't place. be the same if we weren't all here messing around with yeah. each other. Hey, how old are you now? Uh, I just turned 50. Okay, so you just turned 50, the big 5-0. In November. Yeah. What is it like? I mean, you're still in motocross. Your fan base is more rabid and enthusiastic at 50 than guys who have retired after you. You know what I mean? It's like, how have you stayed relevant, you think, in the uh, grand scheme of things? <clears throat> Look, I, I think one of the things that for me, you know, I've, I've, always, just, I've always just tried to be me. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for me, that it just seems like... Uh, you know, I'm just a friendly face, really, you know? And I think being relatable, people that, someone that like, I, I do the same things that everyone else does. Mm -hmm. Pick up my kids from school, get them up, go to school, you know, come here and work, do some stuff, you know, yeah, it's a little different life than it is to someone that has a nine to five job or whatever, but uh, for the most part, it's, you know, look, I. I've always said if you love something enough, which I love Supercross and Motocross and basically my dirt bike, if you love it enough, you're going to be good at it, right? So mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, I just try to, you know, keep the integrity of the sport in everything that I'm trying to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think when someone loves something, you can really tell. And people know that I, I, I'm in this sport for the right reasons, not, not for the fame and not for the money. And mm -hmm. I, I, I truly love my dirt bike. So... <clears throat> and that and it shows so I have you know when people my story is an easy story to get on board with because it's real mm -hmm. so I think that's uh you know we've seen riders when they're done racing and they have a chip on their shoulder about the sport and about this great life that really the public and the fans and people have allowed you to live and uh it just seems weird to me you know like I don't know I mean I've always just wanted to be like everyone else, but just ride my dirt bike better. So yeah, you know, uh, like everyone always thinks back, like like for someone like my age, like grew up in the McGrath era, right? Like you're so good at representing the sport and bringing interest in and everything, like because you're approachable, you're real, you didn't get too cool. Um, has it been always. disappointing for <laughs> you to see <clears throat> champions that follow in your steps? not kind of represent the sport as well because i mean i know rj did it really well right yeah yeah he i mean rj did it really well he was you know, guy before that we, you yeah that we yeah. look that i looked up to you and you like know, when you were a little bit it, different than me when you were when you were in the limelight was that a conscious decision on your part to stay the humble guy that represents no, I, was the sport just, well? I wasn't having to try to do anything it just that's you. why it's a believable story because <laughs> i mean i'm just not i wasn't trying to be i mean there was times when i was a smart ass and I was cocky and you know all the things that 
you know, probably a tad bit arrogant at times or whatever, but I think for the most part, I was pretty in control when it came to being in the limelight. And, uh, you know, I, I, no matter how much I was winning, I still felt lucky to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, to ride dirt bikes for a job is pretty incredible. So, uh, I mean, you call it a job, but it's, or call it work, but it's not really work. You know, it's everything I ever dreamed of. Yeah. So whatever work that came with it, it was, I was happy to do it. Um, but again, I mean, d- d- is it frustrating? Like, like when you see like riders now that don't have time for fans or don't have time for stuff, it, it's a bit frustrating. I mean, I, I would do things differently, but you know, look, I, there's only one Jeremy McGrath, you know, there's mm-hmm. everyone else can't be like me. And of course we can all sit back and critique everyone, mm-hmm. but it's not my business. It's theirs, I guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can all have an opinion. Definitely. All right, we're gonna go to the uh, What's Up With MC segment, brought to you by uh, Arm Sport. I think that's a little something you know something about. So, at the core of Arm's brand is a strong belief that only the highest quality ingredients will add benefit to an athlete's program. Based on years of industry knowledge and research, hours in the gym, and competing in the field, the Arma team has put the work to bring you the products that you can trust. Knowledge is power, so visit armasport.com to learn more. Um, how much R&D and all that did you put into the Arma thing? Oh, like, I mean. I have, a, you know, obviously a lot of it's influenced by the other riders that are involved in the sport too, mm-hmm. former riders and current. Uh, but yeah, we do a lot of testing. I mean, a lot of in the field testing because, uh, I mean, a, a prerequisite for me is if it doesn't work, I don't want to be involved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't need to sell someone on something that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so that's important for me. And so with Arma, we do a lot of testing, a lot of field testing. We do sample after sample after sample after sample. And uh, when it meets all of our standards, that's when we produce it. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole uh, informed sport thing is right. a big deal, right? And with the recent like suspensions of right, like all the way back with Stu, Kate Clayson, Christian Craig, Brock Tickle. Um, so stupid. That, that was there was there the same kind of testing back in the day. Uh, you know, look, we we didn't really get tested for anything. I mean, yeah. it wasn't until like. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know when, like when after Carmichael, pretty much. Mm hmm is when sort of this WADA thing or whatever, whatever they're doing now and the cycling sort of standards came in and <clears throat> I mean, we got tested for drugs, like hard drugs, Yeah. you know, which was, we were all trying to be athletes. Why would we ever do that? So, yeah. uh, but in sporting sport doping or something, they didn't have that when I was in the thing mm-hmm. when I was racing. Looking back now at your career and the, the supplements you tried or whatever, is there anything that you think maybe now wouldn't have passed? No, I really wasn't big on it. Uh-huh. But at an older age, now knowing how much supplements help you, like it would have been nice to have Arma back in the day. <laughs> it would have had, I would have had a huge advantage, yeah. even more than I already did. Yeah. So, you know, back then it was just more about trying to eat healthy, not be mm-hmm. distracted, put your work in, you know, have a little fun at the same time, yeah. but just not get too, just not get too distracted. So drink enough water after Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> Hydrate. Yeah. Okay. So now 
these <laughs> days, uh, motocross. I mean, obviously you're a Kawasaki ambassador. Um, how much do you ride still and how much uh, emphasis do you put on it? Well, there's certain times uh, during the year that I ride more, right? So during the winter, I'll ride a little bit more. When it starts getting hot, I don't ride so much. Yeah. And I wait till after summer. But I do like it. It's like a great form of exercise. I mean, mm -hmm. I ride my mountain bike a lot and I ride my dirt bike sometimes. Yeah. I still oh. still go out and test. Like we got some Maxxis tire testing coming up. So there's certain things that I do go out and, and really get pumped to ride for. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting. And then you've built some cool bikes in the past, right? Like, uh, well, we built that one KX250 two-stroke and the 250F chassis for the premix movie. Yep. But then, uh, dude, you acquired some old bikes. Did you find those on Craigslist or something? You had a, remember there was that KX125 and I was debating you like, no, that's a 250. Look how big the pipe is, you know, because it was a yeah, no, crazy I, dyno uh, port. Well, that's funny because I, I searched out that bike because that's the bike that I first won a Supercross on, 1990 KX125. Uh -huh. So that's what I won Vegas that year on. <laughs> uh, so I searched out a 90 KX125. I have the 500. conversion 250 that yeah. you're talking about, which is the 08 250F chassis with the 05 KX250 engine. Mm -hmm. We built the 500. Um, which is awesome. The thing is just completely reworked. A kit suspension. Yeah, modern forks. Right? Yeah, modern forks, modern cl modern clamps. Uh, I just got done building a Yamaha because Yamaha never gave me any bikes, mm -hmm. uh, and they didn't give anyone any bikes back in the day. I think uh, they had a little side deal going on selling them somewhere. You, did you re, re uh, create a championship bike? Yeah, my 2000 championship bike, which is a uh, Mazda Yamaha bike, mm -hmm. um, all you know, obviously all blue with a number one on it. Like so, um, the only thing it doesn't have is factory suspension. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Got to talk to your brother about that. Yeah, you can find that stuff somewhere. He can find me some old Kaaba stuff. Yeah. Um, when you ride now, is it like like at your level of talent, right? Do you still get on a bike and just boom, right back into it, or? Does a guy like you get the arm pumped? Do you feel rusty? Your timing is off, or is it just easy? No, it's it's still pretty easy. I still, when I'm trying to go really hard, like if someone's like we're trying to do motos or something, then it, it gets a little more risky. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's pretty in control still. It comes back really quick. Obviously, the if I go riding a couple days in a row, mm -hmm. if I'm not too sore, it, it I start riding a little bit better. Uh, we recently rode some Supercross. When we did the Kawasaki uh, photo shoot for the SR model, which mm -hmm. is that special race yeah. edition, which is an awesome KX450, uh, we just rode Supercross for that. And by you know in the morning is a little rusty and a little scary, and then by the midday it's pretty good. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh man, I want to come back tomorrow yeah. and ride. So uh, I don't know. I think I'm certainly probably the only 50 year old riding Supercross track yeah. still. Is it harder to come back and get the timing of Supercross back than it is to go ride moto? No. Really? It comes I mean, easily. if there's like crazy rhythm sections, like then it's a little bit risky. Obviously, it's a lot more risky. Mm -hmm. Motocross is uh, pretty easy, but you know, it's higher speeds. It's different. It's a different deal. Mm -hmm. One thing about Supercross, though, is if you do ride Supercross, you have to have Supercross suspension because yeah. If, if I just take my regular bike I ride on a weekly basis to a Supercross track, yeah. it's really scary. Yeah, and and yeah. scary for me, but yeah, just 
when you have soft suspension on a supercross track, it could be ugly quick. Yeah, so for the one <coughs> of the science of supercrosses, you were telling me, I think it was last year, God, dude, I had to hit the whoops. Was that your standard suspension? That, you that was my standard suspension, yeah. <laughs> and they were, the whoops that day at K2 were huge. And, and I, we, I had to get through them for a couple, just a couple. Yeah. Oh, man. I was like, every time I was getting ready to go into the whoops, I was just like, oh, please, God. Please, <laughs> like, let me live through this section. You know, had I had Supercross fork and shock, would have been a lot better. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, fortunately, I made it. And then how much <clears throat> practice did you do for the... Uh, I forgot what race it was a couple years ago, but you went and you did a knack knack. Uh, oh, 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 we did it at San Diego. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I went riding. I mean, I went riding. I mean, I don't, mm -hmm. do, I don't do knack knacks all the time. You yeah. know, people are like, oh, when's the knack? When'd you do the last knack knack? I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. It's not like I, like, in order to do knack knacks, you kind of need a big jump, right? And, yeah. and most motocross tracks don't really, you're not trying to jump really high or big giant jumps to do knack knacks on. Mm -hmm. So, uh, every time I'm at the Supercross track, try to do a couple. Yeah. You know, what is it like to have fans that are so, they believe in you so much, right? Because, I mean, anytime I put anything out with you, there will be one comment. At 50, Jeremy would still make the top 20, make the main event. <laughs> yeah. I love my fans, and, and uh, I think some, some stuff's better left to... Uh, a, fan's a, fan, a fantasy, you know what I mean? Uh, to think, I'm sure that I would do fine. Yeah. Uh, everyone, all, even the privateer guys go really fast today. It's not mm -hmm. like, you know, people just remember that speed that I had and how dominating that was in the 90s and whatever, late 90s. <clears throat> you know, and it's really cool that people think that that would tra transfer over Mm -hmm. into these days of Supercross. Uh, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. The racetracks are always pretty easy, right? So I don't, I don't see why it would, could be that, could be that hard. Yeah. But I would need a couple months to ride for sure to get in shape for that. And There's no way. 10-minute heat race would be pretty tough, I think, yeah. for me at this point. <laughs> All right, we're going to hit our next segment, which is my favorite of the show. So we're in the uh, back-in-the-day segment with Bell Helmets. Uh, Bell Helmets was established in 1954 and is the maker of the Moto 10 spherical helmet, the most technologically advanced off-road helmet in the sport. It's the choice of professionals like Eli Tomac, Cooper Webb, Dylan Ferrandis, the Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki team, and of course, Jeremy McGrath here sitting next to me. Uh, learn more at bellhelmets.com. So uh, I always want to ask you this, like in the 1-800 collect days, right? When you did that commercial with Alyssa Milano, Dude, so I remember when, ah, what, what movie was that? It was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and Alyssa Milano was in it, just as a little kid, right? But you're like, oh, she's going to be hot when she Even before, like, Who's the Boss? Yeah. Or no. Yeah, before that. Because Who's the Boss was, like, where she became famous, right? Yeah. And all of us were like, whoa, Alyssa Milano. But, so you're yeah. in this commercial, this one hair collect commercial with Alyssa Milano, and was she wearing, like, a black leather outfit or she something? She was, yeah. Was she as hot in person as she no. was? <laughs> no. It was, frankly, it was pretty disappointing. Really? Yeah. Uh, she was not very nice. Really? And like, like we like to say normal. She, she was pretty cool. Yeah. <clears throat> Thought she was pretty cool. She smoked cigarettes like a 
like chain smoked, oh, lit one off. with the next one with the next one, and I was like, whoa, this is like jacking my head up. I mean, I love this chick. She's so hot and blah, blah, blah. And she was not hot, lots of makeup, lots of cigarettes, and not nice. Really? And so That's it kind of just strikes. blew my, blew my whole childhood, who's the boss fantasy on Alyssa Was Milano. it the uh, putty knife makeup? Yeah, just Put like pretty thick, spackle. Huh? Did you get to interact with her much besides just what acting in front of the... Uh... You know, when I was interacting with her, she was okay. But what I saw outside of that, her. how she treated other people and stuff, I just wasn't, I wasn't cool with it. No. Yeah. What was that era like, the one in her collect era? I mean, that was like one of the biggest non-endemic outside industry sponsors of a race team that I can remember really, or the most prolific. Yeah, wasn't it like MCI, 1-800-COLLECT, MCI was the I brand? I think so, yeah. You know, I don't know. It was, it was, I mean, they were pioneering, right? It was something new and mm -hmm. everyone knew it. Everyone knew what it was. Yeah. It was before cell phones. Yeah, right. Right, which was way pretty cool, actually. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was 1-800-COLLECT. It was... Got a lot of notoriety and we were winning a lot of races. So, I mean, the era was cool, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was really neat to usher in sponsors that weren't moto people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of those first, right? Mm -hmm. So MCI was one, 1-800-COLLECT, obviously. Um, Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch was another. Uh, Mazda was another. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I don't know, but there, there was a lot of uh, acclaimed sports, which is the video game, that was another. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of first when it came to that. And I mean, that era was cool. That, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was an open market, right? Yeah. I mean, if you had someone that could go out and somehow get in touch with these people, it seems like you could land a sponsor because Supercross was super popular then. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just assuming here, but I, I don't think you ever placed a winning or a collect call to someone. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I can't remember. I don't even know. Dude, I, it's I, funny. When's the last time you saw a payphone? They don't exist yeah, anymore, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty weird when, because like my kids, like I'm when I see a payphone, I'm like, hey, you know what that is? And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, so they don't even know what a payphone is. It's kind of weird. Yeah, you used to have to carry two dimes. Yeah. Put that in crazy. there. Crazy. Yeah. And then remember the uh, <clears throat> the 900 lines, the one nine hundred. I remember this part, moto? this era well because it was one nine hundred pro race. But remember, yeah. I had one nine hundred McGrath. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and I would leave messages after the race, and people could call, and I was making my own money doing that. I remember that. And then yeah. one night, Fell or Supercross at that time said I couldn't run one nine hundred McGrath. I had to run their deal. Oh, so they shut me down on that. Again, I was trying to be a first and do my yeah, own yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 pioneer. And they're like, nope. Yeah, I had a buddy that would call it every week. Your your line? Oh, it's just it's just like Jeremy's leaving me a voicemail. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always fun. It was always fun after every race, I would just call in and leave a message for that. And yeah, how long would you talk cool. for? And like, probably, were, were you pretty? Uh, pretty detailed. Were you pretty candid? Oh yeah, yeah. Or it wasn't ever Yeah, cool. I feel like I was always pretty candid. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. long were you able to keep that going before it got shut down? It wasn't that long. Really? Yeah, it was like six or eight months. How much money did that earn? Not enough. Really? Not enough, but I was always, again, trying to be different and do stuff, you know? It's another, it's, an, it's another part of the process of learning how to be a businessman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
<clears throat> you have to find a balance between the time you and effort you want to put into it and the, the reward you get out of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, it was pretty neat. It's just like talking to you when you work for Cycle News or mm -hmm. Chris or any of those other guys when we were doing like In the Wind or any of those stories. Yeah, interviews um, afterwards. Yeah, so it was the same thing. I was just talking to machine. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So you brought up Cycle News, right? So like that was my first job in the industry. Worked for Cycle News. It's funny to think that I used to go to the races. Like my first beat was the flat track races, right? I used to go and I used to take that journalist notepad that was like long like that and a pen. That was it, right? Because I had Mitch Friedman shooting photos and all I do is keep track of the race and write a story on a Veritiper, which was this horrible little word processor that uh, Radio Shack made. Type the story, boom, that was it. And then through the years, you know, technology and the changes in media. What did that pay you to do huh? that? What did it pay you to write a story? Well, when I worked at for Stu, I got $2 per inch in the Cycle News, right? But then when I was on staff at Cycle News, you I think my salary? first job, I, I got hired for $24,000 a year salary, and I thought I was going to be a millionaire, right? But back then, 1990, for sure. But, yeah. uh, but uh, the, the things, the way... Well, let's see, 91, I was Team Pro Circuit Honda, mm -hmm. and I was only making 10 grand more than you. Really? You were making 24, I was making 35. Really? Wow. Yep. What was that like, being on that team the first time? Because I remember going, oh my God, this is mind-blowing. Like four guys dressed identically like that. Did it seem cool I mean, to you, you know, look, the funny thing is, is I was the first one hired on the team to factory Honda from like Dave Arnold and those guys. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, yes, I'm going to be on the team with RJ and Bale and these guys, right? And then it, and then, then it went from that to going to Mitch's like uh, satellite style team. Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, factory Honda. I'm just badass, you know, and then boom, I'm on the satellite team. Uh huh. And so it was a little bit of a letdown, but after, you know, history has shown, I mean, that Honda team was one of the, that Honda 125 team was one mm -hmm. of the strongest in the past in the history yeah. of the sport. And that was cool. We had a lot of fun. Mitch was fun. Uh, we had a lot of fun. So it was you, Swink, Buell. And, and Lamson. Lamson. Wow. Yeah, because Lamson didn't do the second year. He rode for Suzuki, I think. Mm -hmm. And then we brought Budman on. So yeah. it was Buddy Antonez and me on the West Coast the second year, 92. Mm -hmm. And then Swink went to Suzuki also. Uh, maybe that was 90. He rode two years on, yeah, he rode two years on the mm -hmm. Team Peak Honda team. <clears throat> and then Buell was on there for two years, so it was cool. I remember the the big, those bikes look sick. The big controversy though was the first race. You guys had those reflective numbers that screwed up everybody's photos because they'd flash back and shut the flash off. Yeah, and so my friend Eddie J, just a dude I grew up with riding as an amateur. He lives in San Bernardino. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, he he was into making numbers. Yeah. So he made our numbers, me and Lamson. Oh, okay. And so Swink and Buell used something else, and we used uh, my friend Eddie J's numbers. Uh -huh. And they were reflective, and we loved it because it blew out the photos. Yeah. <laughs> but it kind of looked cool in the photos, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we kept running them, though. We never switched. I, I, thought, I thought enough media people complained or something. I don't know. I just remember Kenny Jones was all fired up, like, ah, oh, these numbers are messing up my pictures. Yeah, I don't remember, but the font was sick. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, it's time for a fan question. Today's uh, fan segment is brought to you, us by uh, our friends at Maxxis Tires, my buddy Chris Meyer. Uh, you know that Maxxis delivers the best tires for your bike or motorcycle, but did you know Maxxis also offers high quality tires for your car, light truck, trailer, ATV, and more. Maxxis Tires let you hook up and get the whole shot. Just ask Jeremy McGrath, visit maxxis.com for more. Dude, I finally have Maxxis Tires on the Sprinter van. And you know, when we first got the Sprinter and built it out, we got these wheels and I got 18 inch wheels. So you have Razor MTs on there? Or well, you no, got no, Bravo no. So, ATs? No, there was no application to fit on a two wheel drive Sprinter with 18 inch. Mm. Like Chris sent us some tires and they didn't fit in the wheel well. So I had to actually purchase some other tires and I got off-road tires and they're so loud. <laughs> and when I finally wore them out, I got some 17 inch wheels from uh, Black Rhino and called Chris and he's like, oh, and he was gonna send me the gnarly off-roads, but I'd been driving in with worn out off-road tires for so long with a whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, they're so So bad. I got the uh, the street tire. Which is the Bravo AT, I believe. Yeah. yeah, dude, so quiet. Yeah. It's so good. Changes everything, right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I don't know, what do you, you, you have I have Razor Dodge, MTs right? on my truck, uh -huh. which is like the medium terrain sort of off-road looking tire, and mm -hmm. it's it's been really good. You, the trick to it is you gotta rotate. All the time, um, right? But yeah. I have had the Bravos, ATs, mm -hmm. and they're good. I mean, it's like Super it's quiet. like you're on glass. Just yeah. What do you have on that? Do you still have that Dodge van? Yeah, I have Razor MTs. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're going for the look. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just talked to Chris about getting some new tires for it, so we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so our fan question. I put out a uh, call for uh, submissions. Uh, Orange Bird 273. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. With a 450 class so stacked this year, how would 1996 Jeremy do in today's field? So this is a great question. It's a question that everyone always asks, <laughs> right? It's like, and it's a, it's a question that you'll never get the right answer to. Yeah. And you can never answer this question. If you ask me, how would I do? I would win. Right. So, but you have the, you ask these guys, and they would say they would win. So, uh, there's no way you could ever compare it. We were on a different bike, slower mm -hmm. bike. Field was different, uh, you know, completely different. Uh, you know, it's it's just like hey, it's like saying how would I do against Bob Hanna, or how would Bob Hanna do against yeah, it's completely uh, different. Ricky areas. Johnson, or let's just take Bob Hanna against Ricky Carmichael, or something like that. You know, it's just a question that'll never be answered. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> You know, I would like to think I could hold my own, but you know, it's it's really just your age and it's a different era, different bike, different. It's just things are totally different. So, as much as I'd like to tell you that I would kick everyone's ass about it, you know, out there, it probably wouldn't happen. I mean, it's again, it's better to left to fantasy, and that's why it's a great question. Yeah, you know, it's funny though, is that like techniques have changed, right? Like you change the sport with your low jump and all that, and then like now there's the scrub and all yeah, this stuff, yeah. but, uh, but still, what was it like to line up for a race and know that you're probably gonna win? I mean, like all the time. in competition, there's no greater feeling than that, right? There's no better feeling than that. Um, I had a, a more of a chance of not winning. Uh, oh, wait, how, did, how, did, how does that go? So I had a better chance of winning than not winning, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
you know, that, that was a good feeling, but I mean, all the stars were lined up, right? I was, I was, I had the best Supercross style at the time, mm -hmm. changed the way that people were doing it. I had the best team, the best bike. I mean, I had a lot of advantages. And like we had talked about before, you know, some, some teams were not ready for what we showed up with. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, everyone knows that in the 80s and the 90s, you couldn't compete with Honda. Mm -hmm. And there's this one-off races where you could, depending on what happened. But for the most part, the works bikes in the 80s and then those bikes in the 90s, they were just too good. Like you couldn't even compete with that. So mm -hmm. match that with someone that, you know, someone like myself, I guess at the time. And, uh, it was a very deadly combination. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty cool lining up at the line when you just look down and you're like, I got this. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was <laughs> as a, as an athlete, that's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. Did it ever, allow you to get complacent because you're so much better than everybody else did you ever take it for granted i think i did you know in 96 when i won all those supercross races and that's the year that i hurt my foot mm -hmm. in millville that year i tried to jump a, a jump that was never even jumped and still has never been jumped mm -hmm. but i thought i could jump it and i think my ego got the best of me that year yeah i was winning everything i won seven nationals going up to that point i mean that was the year i lost the outdoor title to Emig, but um this should have never happened i was i got a little too big for my britches and uh, life has a way of smacking you down when you get too confident. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was my own fault. I shouldn't have, should have played it a little more conservative instead of just trying to be a show off all the time, which is what I was. Mm -hmm. um, Showtime. Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, I was just trying to do stuff different and be different and winning wasn't enough when it should have been enough, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was winning everything. So it's all I really needed to do. I just didn't need to do the extra stuff, you know? Yeah. So it cost me in the end. Um, but you know, as, as, as much as that era was cool and as much as, as much confidence as I had going to the line, knowing that I would win, uh, the following year I went to the line and wasn't sure I could get top three. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I felt like I could, but didn't know if the bike was ready and had plenty of problems with that. And so, you know, I've been on both sides of it and, uh, certainly like the winning side more. Absolutely. It's easy to say, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I did a lot more winning than I didn't win, so that, that's that's a good true. Thing. That's a that's a good career to have. Seventy-two of them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's that's it's it's weird. It's almost like a laughable number now. Yeah. Because like you see, you know what Tomac just just went through like number, race number nineteen or something like mm -hmm. that. It's like I look at him and I'm like, wow, man, he's, he's pretty good. He's won a lot of races, but he's only won nineteen races. So that's that seventy-two number is pretty big. Yeah. And uh, you don't you know older I get, the more I realize it, but. You know, when you're just piling up wins, you don't recognize how cool that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just the way it was. It was like, look, I'm going to the race. I'm going to win. That's yeah. how it is. Yeah. But seeing it now and Stewart's, Stewart's how many years retired now? Like five, six? More than that, I think. Yeah, eight. Yeah, maybe eight. And he's the next closest guy to me. And there's still guys like no one in the sports. They're at barely 19. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to take, it's going to be a long time before someone comes around yeah, never to touch with that one. 72. It's a big number. All right. Hey, uh, man, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, always fun to catch up. So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Guys, thanks for checking out uh, episode two of the King and I podcast presented by Monster Energy. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.